welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jonathan Wall here, joined as always by the man, the myth, the legend, Gene Prenti. Gene, how are we doing? I'm doing well, Jonathan. How about yourself? Listen, I, I'm doing fantastic because this time next week, we're going to have par three contest. We're going to be one more day away from the first round of the Masters. I, I do feel like this time of the year, as as we get closer to the first round of the Masters, it's it's starting to feel a little bit more like spring. I know it's spring for you every day, Gene. You live in San Diego. But for those hey, of us it, that it don't did, live... It did, it did rain two days ago, just FYI. That was a major event. Did so, everybody freak know. out? Kind of. It, it happened at night, so they were kind. So, you know, we didn't have to... We just, like, cuddled underneath our covers and wondered what that strange sound was on the roof. But, you know, hey, we got over it quickly. We adapted. Get, get inside your storm shelter and, uh, <laughs> and hope, hope for it to end. But, yeah, this, hey, this Gene, is a great uh, time of the year. Gene, I don't, I don't mean to jump in. And, Jonathan, I never really jump in. But, uh, Gene, are you going to be at the Masters? Oh, no, I'm not going to be at the Masters because I've been begging for a ticket and I never got one. So, no, I'm not going to be there. And I've never that's, been. That's really, that's really brutal, Mark. Nobody else on this podcast ever needles Gene. I don't, I don't know why you'd start now. <laughs> I see a running theme here. What, what are we going to talk about next? What kind of things we like to listen to and what we like to listen to them on? <laughs> well, well, actually, oh, no, Gene, not, this, is, this is a perfect... No, no, no. This is a perfect opportunity to let you know that this week's episode of Fully Equipped is brought to you by Rockform and their G-Rock wireless golf speaker. <laughs> yeah, I know. Gene's, Gene's laughing, but it is. Thanks to our good friends at Rockform for sponsoring the podcast. As you've heard me talk about, the G-Rock is your go-to portable wireless golf speaker on the golf course. Has, in my opinion, the most powerful magnet on the face of the planet attached to the speaker. You slap it on the side of your golf cart. It also has a carabiner clip if you want to throw it on your golf bag. Um, it has two 8-watt speakers, so you don't have to worry about any issues with sound. It's waterproof, drop-resistant, which means if you're like me and you you know go flying around the golf course on your cart, and somehow, some way, that powerful magnet doesn't hold it there, but it, I know it will. If it falls off, you don't have to worry about any issues with uh, with it not working. 24 hours of battery life, that gives you up to five rounds of golf. I still, I've been playing golf, still haven't had to go through a second charge yet. Freeze up your cup holder, and oh, by the way, it is all black. So if you're like me and you enjoy that murdered out look, this is, this is the speaker for you. If you want to pick one up, check out rockform.com, and you can get 20% off your G-Rock using promo code FE20. Go check it out. Thanks again to Rock Forum for sponsoring the pod. There you go. Gene still doesn't have one. I'll just Gene is gonna kill you. <laughs> Gene is gonna kill you. <laughs> hey man, you know, the audio on my iPhone works just great. So I put it on the seat of my you know, golf cart. I listen to that. I'm fine. I don't need your fancy. It's speaker. still not. It's still not good. Need, it's not as good as the rock your, form. I'm I don't sorry. Need your high tech stuff. I'll have a little tinny sound coming out, and I'll just pull the <laughs> cart right up next to my ball. I'm cool, man. I'm cool. You know, I've made peace with this. You guys are just, you know. <laughs> <sighs> so the reason right, the reason right. why we're hearing from Coach today is because, from what I have been told, Chris, the serial killer, is on death's door. He he's not feeling very good. So. Let's send some good vibes Chris's way. I don't really think he's on death's Yeah, door, I didn't want to leave you guys hanging like without a, 
I didn't want to leave you guys hanging without a third co-host, so I figured I'd chop it. You know, uh, I am going to Augusta next week, and we're going to be there, Jay Wall. So, uh, uh, wait, Gene, sorry. Uh, oh shit! All right, the body head. blows just keep on coming. They yeah, keep there we go. coming. There we go. All right, we'll, we'll get we'll get to a real topic here instead of talking about how Gene is not going to Augusta next week. <laughs> but it feels like a good segue right into into the Masters and. Without a question, the hottest topic in golf right now. No, not Scotty Scheffler ascending to world number one after he was, I think he was 12th at the end of last, at the end of the year. And now he's already number one at the end of March, which is just an insane ascent to the top of the world golf ranking. Now we're talking about Tiger Woods, Tiger, Tiger Woods, y'all. I mean, listen, at the beginning of this year, Somebody asked me, do you think Tiger Woods plays this season? And I said, no, I I don't think he does. But if he's going to give it a shot, it's going to be at the Open Championship because the Open Championship this year is at St. Andrews. And if Tiger's going to be able to get in form to be able to play 72 holes of golf, it's going to be at St. Andrews. And then lo and behold, we start tracking airplanes First it was boats, now it's planes, and the Tiger Woods PJ shows up in Augusta yesterday. Tiger reportedly played 18 holes, at least 18. I'm sure probably not more than that. But he plays with Charlie. He plays with Justin Thomas. And I don't think Tiger's there giving JT you know, some, a recon of, of Augusta. I don't think he's there helping him, helping out a friend. I think he's there. Like a lot of people assume he wants to see how his body's going to hold up to walking Augusta. And now all of a sudden the unthinkable is actually, I mean, at this point, Gene, what do you think? I, I, if somebody was going to give me odds, I would say there's probably a 75% chance that Tiger's playing next week. What do you think? Tiger has 50 to 1 odds of winning Augusta. Yeah, but you know why they do that. Well, but hear me out. Taylor Gooch has higher odds, and he is going to be at Augusta. There's no (laughs) guarantee that Tiger's going to be there. The the point being, he has 50 to 1 odds, and and there's no guarantee that he's going to show up. Yeah, but that but but the only reason that the only reason that not Augusta, but the only reason that Vegas does that, I've actually got a buddy who's who's a an odds maker in Vegas, and he told me that they they have to do that no matter if Tiger's playing on one leg or he's perfectly healthy, they have to keep the odds short because if you start giving people two hundred or three hundred to one odds or you know five hundred to one. All of a sudden, all the money starts coming on on Tiger, and then the books are exposed. So you've got to keep it to where those odds are still pretty short. So if Tiger does, I mean, look what he did in 2019. If he does show up and he ends up winning the damn thing, you know, you're you're not you're not totally exposed to to a Tiger Woods market where everybody's taking, you know, 100 or 200, 300 to one. Let me no, ask you guys, uh, what what number would you take Tiger at right now for a hundred bucks? What's the number? I mean, I'd take him at fifty. I mean, if he sh- even if he shows up on one leg, look what he did in two thousand eight at the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. I mean, so, uh, a, 
a 50% Tiger, 60% Tiger is better than some guys. And he knows Augusta better than anybody else in the, in the field. So yeah, give, give me Tiger at the current odds. Well, so, so here's, here's a couple of my takes. You know, I was talking to some people at Riviera uh, when it was there recently. And some people in the know told me exactly what you said, Jonathan, that uh, it looked like if he came back this year that he was going to play the Open because it was at St. Andrews and it was flat. And one of the things that people were saying was it's not just the four rounds, it's the practice round on Wednesday and that you've got to commit to walking for five days. And they honestly just did not believe that his leg was going to hold up for five days of that kind of you know, beating. My perspective was he's been off for 17 months. He's 46. He hasn't played a competitive round. Those are some major, major liabilities. I mean, Father Time is catching up with him. So those are on the negative side. On the positive side, when I got those Twitter updates that that airplane was heading to Augusta, I all I thought about was one of his quotes that he doesn't enter a golf tournament unless he thinks he's going to win it. And he's yeah. not. I just don't think that at this stage in his career, it's worth just showing up to miss a cut. So he must think that he is physically, mentally, and uh, psychologically from a game perspective ready to compete, which just seems insane to me because all these guys need two or three rounds of tune-ups usually when they come back from an injury just to get used to that competitive sense. But because he's the GOAT, I literally would not bet against him. And if he does tee it up, once again, it's going to move the needle in the right direction for the sport. So I'm all for it. Yeah. And you, you put it perfectly, which is Tiger's not going to show up unless he thinks he's got a chance. He obviously does. There was video from medalists. Somebody, I, I would love to know who took that video of him hitting a tee shot from the Tiger tees at medalist. There you see Joe LaCava in the background. The, the rumor was that Tiger was out at medalist walking to try and prepare himself for playing Augusta. Now, Medalist in Augusta are two totally different beasts. Not saying that that Medalist is not a difficult golf course, but for those that have not been to Augusta before and actually walked that golf course during a round following those players, it is not an easy walk. You know, in, until years ago when they started having high definition in in low def, you could not see how how hilly Augusta was. It is it is a serious walk, and I think that's why Tiger is going there because he needs to see if his body and his leg, you know, in that surgically fused back, if it's all going to be able to hold up for seventy two holes at Augusta. This is not St Andrews, which is you know link style golf course. This this is going to be a real walk, and if he's showing up. Nobody's giving him a golf cart like John Daly was asking, you know, asking for and received at the at the PGA. I mean, this is this is the real deal. So Tiger must be. I mean, we already knew that he was pretty far along. He played the father son with Charlie. You know, looked. I would say, you know, he looked okay. He still looked like he was favoring the leg, but the fact that he even showed up after that injury and was able to play that event, it just goes to show you, Tiger is is a different he's a, he's a different human being 
the fact that he can mentally and physically prepare for something like that after after you know what it most assume was was a career ending injury you know it's just i can't even believe that we're actually talking about it but let's just not talk about tiger's chances of playing Augusta gene because there's one thing that you and i both have been thinking about and you mentioned it before we started recording this podcast which is do we see any changes to Tiger's gear setup. We didn't see a ton. He had stealth in the bag when he played the father-son, but I do wonder, playing Augusta, does he make any modifications to his setup to to handle that golf course with a leg that's, I'm going to say, is definitely not 100%. Well, it's not only the leg. You know, I was reading some things, you know, kind of a little bit more on the geeky side about the father-son. And they said he had definitely lost four or five miles an hour ball speed off of his club. And so it's a lot, especially at the tour level. I know, I know. And now granted he's stronger than, than probably than he was then. So, but the other thing that you've got to ask is what is his signature shot? I mean, you can hit any shot, but his signature shot has always been that kind of power fade. Right. And the power fade, um, is not the most distance advantageous golf shot out there. So now granted he has reworked his swing multiple times in his career and every single time appeared stronger is this time out of necessity to cheat father time a little bit and maybe go back to a draw, maybe go back to um, a little bit more of an inside out positive attack angle in which he could maximize launch and spin conditions and potentially get some of that distance back. Because if you go from say 2,800 RPM spin to 2,100 RPM spin at say 120 miles an hour, you can probably get two to four miles an hour of that ball speed back. That's a big spin reduction. I'm, it, you know, it's a big spin reduction. Right. But, it's easier said than done, right? Because you're, you're you're now just going straight, kind of coming across the ball a little bit, creating a little bit of side spin, but a lot more backspin, which gives you great control to now you're out there in the inside out world where the snap hook becomes, you know, a thing and the block. And, you know, I know this, you know, guys like Bryson deal with this, all the inside out guys deal with it. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's higher risk reward on that level than it is the power fade. As we've talked about on this program, there's a reason that guys like Rom, that um, the Tiger, that uh, Dustin Johnson, even Xander, you know, are all playing the power fade right now is yes, distance is king, but it's really important to get that ball in the fairway if you want to score. Yeah. That would be interesting to see Tiger show up and playing a draw because as you mentioned, it's it's not as easy to control and dropping down to say 2100 spin, if you start missing it, I mean, at 20 at 28, it's still manageable even if even if you're dropping some spin. But if you get down to 20, if you know, 22, 2100 is where you're trying to get to an optimal spin to gain some of that that lost distance back because of because you're not swinging it as hard. That that be, you're you're on a razor's edge, I think, is what Bryson said at one point during his press conference oh, yeah. last year. Was that's that's when it starts to get to be really difficult. But hey, just the fact that we're talking about Tiger 
potentially showing up to Augusta next week, not just to show up for the champions dinner, but to actually show up to play in the tournament is just it to me, it's still mind blowing. I feel like I'm going to wake up and it's not going to be real, but, but we are talking about tiger potentially playing in the masters. We are also talking about tiger woods for another reason. So we've talked about all of the, I guess let's go back and talk about the collectible market. You know, over the last year, collectibles in general have exploded in value. It's it's been another way for for people to to you know purchase items and try and turn a profit on them. And, and collectibles have kind of been in that air, that realm. Well, golf collectibles are sort of having their moment right now. So we had a Tiger Woods backup putter, a Newport Two GSS backup that went for almost four hundred thousand dollars at auction. And I thought that was a lot of money. And then along comes this set of, and I have to say purported, I guess, because we'll, we'll get in, we'll get into the, 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 the story behind these irons, but a set of Titleist forged blades and Vokey wedges bearing tigers name stamped on the backs of the heads. And these babies are reportedly from the Tiger Slam, making them, in, in my opinion, the most important irons in the history of the game. I mean, these these are, these are these irons came from a stretch where Tiger was by far the most dominant player. You could say that it was the greatest stretch of golf in the history of the sport. He wins three majors in 2000, comes back in 2001 at the Masters, wins the Masters, holds all four at the same time. The only player ever in the history of the game who's ever held three in the same year was Ben Hogan. Tiger was was unbeatable. He won by 15 at the 2000 US Open. Nobody was coming close to what he was doing. And now these irons show up. They actually have an interesting backstory. And I, I don't know if, if you'd ever heard this, Gene. So before these irons came to auction, and they are, they are actually at auction right now on Golden Age Golf Auctions. That's the auction house. Ryan Carey, we've had Ryan on the pod, good friend of the pod. He was on to talk about the the Tiger putter and to go through a couple other interesting putters that he was going to have up for auction. So Golden Age is doing the auction for these. But as the story goes, back in back in the early 2000s, Tiger was looking for a new set of irons. And Steve Mata, who was one of the heads of two or a titleist at the time, was working closely with Tiger. And apparently they gave him, they took the thickest gamer set of, of titles blades. They spec them out. They give Tiger a new set. It's at the 2001 Buick Open. Then Tiger does, you know, now what you would say would be the unthinkable. He reportedly gives these irons to Steve Mata. And... Steve keeps them. They're a gift. And for the next nine years, Steve keeps these irons in his possession until he decides in 2010 to put the irons up for auction. Now, here's where the story gets interesting because when the irons go up for auction and people realize like these are, like, Steve's claiming these are the Tiger Slam irons. These are from that year. And then Tiger comes out and claims, nope, those aren't real. I actually have the two sets because that's what Tiger said. He used two sets of irons during the Tiger Slam. Those two sets are in my possession. 
this set that Steve Mata has that he's auctioning off is they they're not they're not from the Tiger Slam. Never says that they aren't real, but he just says they're not from the Tiger Slam run. And so the iron cell for I think it was less than sixty thousand, which seems dirt cheap considering the number I'm about to throw out now. But these irons now come back out. They were owned by a Houston businessman who bought the irons, but kind of Ryan pushing him like, look, people need to see these clubs. He finally decides to sell them. And Ryan at the time said, hey, look, these are going to go for seven figures. Even though Ryan's a buddy of mine, I was like, that's crazy. With roughly two weeks to go, Gene, they're already at 850000 So with the buyer's premium, you're the person who's currently winning is going to pay over a million dollars for these irons, which is crazy. But the craziest part of all is that Tiger's claiming that they aren't real. That's the craziest part of them all. Because at the end of the day, so, you know, it's, it's interesting. As someone who tests things for a living, I've really had a long time to think about uh, what is the intrinsic value of something, right? And, you know, if, uh, you know, I, I mean, here's a classic example. You know, if a, if a golf club that you buy at Costco goes as far as a golf club that you buy from, you know, one of the top or one or two manufacturers, what's the intrinsic value of having a Callaway or a TaylorMade stamped on versus, you know, a Kirkland or something? And, and you know, that's a... It, it, it's a very loaded question, but it's a very interesting question because in golf, you know, so much of it comes down to performance. But in this sense, what you've got an old set of irons with the with the wear mark on them. That's what we know, oh, you know, from it from an intrinsic. The, the wear mark is amazing. That's what we know from an intrinsic standpoint. Now you get into the fact that the value is if these irons were used in these four consecutive victories by tiger woods the only way to verify that is from the source who's telling you no so therefore you know this set is owned by tiger but you don't know if it was the set that was used or any of them used for these four majors victories so what what exactly are you buying? You know, what, what are you spending the money on? I mean, that's just, that's mind boggling to me. Absolutely mind boggling. Yeah, it, it, it is. And as you mentioned, the, the, the irons, the, their worth is tied to the fact that they're from the tiger slam. If they're, you know, look, I, I don't think there's any question that these irons are tigers. If you, and we'll talk about the wear mark here in a second. If you look at the wear mark on the, on the eight iron, it's, about as dimed out as you're going to get. There's there's no question that this set was was owned by Tiger, but and used by Tiger. But we we don't know. I went on I went on record on social media and said Tiger could put this whole story to bed because he's getting better at social media. He's kind of needling guys and having some fun now on social. I would love to see him just come out and post both sets of, a photo of both sets of irons. Put it to bed. Well. So here's I mean, he doesn't have to because it's it's his word against against the auction house. But I would just love to see him say, "Here are the two sets, case closed." But he can't. But he here's, can't, and I don't think he will do it. Here's the interesting thing about Tiger in his history, and this and this just seems to be his personality. Anything that was his, he likes to own. 
He likes to have exactly. control. And so uh, I've noticed that throughout his career from, you know, kind of the lack of signing autographs in the beginning to he just he likes to control his image and everything about his image. And this just seems like a classic example to me that he's not controlling it. I'm not accusing him one way or another of whether or not these irons are valid or not, but he just, uh, to your point, he doesn't seem to want to go to any extra links to clarify anything that are out outside of the control that he has over his image and equipment and everything like that. Yeah. Which that's the part of the story that is so surprising is if tiger knew he knows the value of his, of his, clubs, the golf balls that he's won with. And as you mentioned, he likes to control that. But the fact that he gave up the set of irons, I, I do think that he gave up the set of irons thinking that they would never see the light of day, that he'd give them to somebody that he worked with closely at Titleist and that they would be cherished and, and kept in a, in a place, maybe handed down over the years, but, but never put on the open market. And I do, I do believe that they are from the Tiger Slam run. And that the only reason that Tiger's coming out and saying that they aren't is because he's trying to undercut the price and to delegitimize the irons. And, you know, maybe it worked the first time back in 2010, but as I mentioned with the collectible market exploding right now, it's, it's certainly not working. They're already at over, like I said, over a million bucks with, uh, I think it's just a shade under, let's see here, 10 days as we record on a Wednesday, 10 days left, which I mean, they they could keep going higher, but Gene, as you mentioned, the dimed out mark. This is a set of blades, and we've talked about before. Blades are the most difficult iron to hit because they have little to no forgiveness. But this mark on the eight iron is is a thing of beauty. I don't even see another mark in the heel or the toe, which is just it almost doesn't seem real. It almost it almost seems like a Photoshop job. But these are these are definitely real. So I'll tell you, I had a chance uh, 2020 in June at Merido Country Club in your uh, neck of the woods to work with uh, Sir Nick Baldo, and he brought out uh, the irons that he won the last Open with, and they had the exact same wear mark on them, and it was it was wild to see um, two great ball strikers that uh, you know, and and it was funny because. I was telling Sir Nick about the, you know, the weight difference, about how you could miss it. So, you know, the bottom line is, and, and we've talked about this. Uh, I, I know we've talked about this, or I've written articles about this. I think we have a video series coming out, but I'll just kind of cut to the chase. Well, on a on a uh, on a blade. So this is uh, the toe. This is the heel. This is the center. Most of the mass is between the center and the heel. So if you hit the ball in the center of the club face or miss towards the hosel, you lose very little distance, two to three yards. But if you go out three quarters of an inch or further on the toe, you can miss up to 15 yards. Whereas an average miss on a perimeter weighted um, club is about seven yards out there. It's a big, big miss. So these guys who play blades, and I tell people all the time, you know, especially if you're playing for money, you better really be secure about your impact position under pressure, because if you go after it and we saw it 
in January with Will Zalatoris missing a putt by three quarters of an inch on the toe. So pressure does influence these guys. But if you miss towards the toe on a on a um, on a, a player's blade, you can expect to be club club and a half short coming up to the green. Yeah, uh, you know blades will forever be the most difficult clubs to hit, as Gene mentioned. That's why you see uh, you know the wear mark for a lot of pros that do play blades is typically closer towards the hosel because that's that's the spot that's where the cg location is where you're going to see minimal distance loss but i i always wondered about that when i was first getting into the industry i'm like why do so many of these guys hit it hit more off the heel like that doesn't that doesn't make a lot of sense and then i then i got schooled on the reasoning behind why the cg's placed more in the heel and and then it all made sense and then i realized that's why those guys are pros and i'm just some bozo out there losing golf balls in the woods. Well, there. I mean, in fairness, they don't all play blades. You know, some not of anymore. Them, some, yeah, and and some of them realize that that you know, uh, I I think I think a lot of it up until kind of real data started coming out ten or fifteen years ago, it was uh, uh you know it was kind of a. Uh, a follower thing, you know, you got up to this certain level and this is the kind of equipment you played. And if you did, and if you didn't, if you played anything different, you know, you were kind of either scoffed at or not taken seriously. So these guys all graduated up to this level, but once data started coming out and players started seeing that and understanding it, they're like, well, you know, under pressure, sometimes I hit the ball on the toe and I'd rather be on the, on the, on the fringe than in the bunker you know, and that's the difference when, you know, you miss on a uh, perimeter weighted club versus a, uh, a blade. We've come so far too, Gene, not to, not to go down the, the blade rabbit hole, but you think about where we were even 10 years ago. I mean, a blade was a blade and now you have guys on tour that are playing, you know, and a lot of it's a top, at the top of the set, but you know, the P790, which does not look like a game improvement iron at all, but it's it's you know got got their you know it's got a hollow cavity that's filled with foam, and you know it's it just it's got the performance of a of a more game improvement club. You can miss it a little bit off the heel and the toe. You're still going to get the ball speed retention. Then you go and you look at a guy like a Kevin Na who was playing Callaway's Rogue ST Pro irons. That I mean that is not your traditional blade. That's that's packed with some serious distance in there and we we hit those during our club test and it performed really well. I mean it performed just as well as as an Apex, a cavity back Apex. It I mean it had some serious distance but the profile looks more like a blade. So the industry's changing and and well, we've seen and, that for a little while now. And don't forget PXG. You know, PXG, exactly. they, they put a lot of money into their irons and, and put a lot of money into those, into those weight ports and in the, TPU so, in the in the cavity too. Yes, absolutely. And that allowed them to change the profile of those irons and make them more presentable with the forgiveness factor of a, um, cavity backed, uh, golf club. So or a perimeter weighted golf club. So yes, I, I a hundred percent agree. You know, the, the kind of the Holy grail is to stand over a player's blade and have it have the performance characteristics all, you know, and I don't know if that's achievable, but I think that, um, we are moving in that direction 
so that um, you know uh, game improvement cavity back clubs can start to move a little bit more towards the cleaner lines that you see in uh, you know some of the better players equipment for sure well we'll see where these irons end up in 10 days the tiger irons but I am very excited to see them cross the one million dollar mark and then again with the buyer's premium, they'll they'll be well above that. But I never I never thought they'd get to seven figures. I thought they'd get close. I thought maybe five hundred thousand, but yeah, nothing like this. And then we'll see what Tiger has to say after that. All right. Well, I guess it's a good time to bring up a very sad topic. So <laughs> last week I mentioned I was in Austin. Real yeah, quick, you realize yeah. this whole show is about new gear, right? So I just no, want to make sure. No, it's not, Gene. It's about, it's about the old I, gear. It's about I, the I old school wanna, stuff. I just want to make sure you realize how our bread is buttered, and that's on it, the it latest. Doesn't, it doesn't matter. Greatest. That's before fine. You if they start, don't... Before you start this lamenting <laughs> about a club that no longer exists, like a dope. It does exist. It is real. It is real. Yes, it is real. It is real. It's, Gene, it's no that. longer available. My apologies. Gene, I just have to let you know that this is sponsored by Nike Golf Clubs. <laughs> you know, just what? do it, baby. Hey, hey, Mark, can you edit all of those comments I just said previously out in the post? I'd greatly appreciate that. <laughs> Go ahead, John. you got it, you got it. <laughs> so, before I was so rudely interrupted last week in Austin, I saw Scotty Scheffler, and I asked him, Scotty, what's the deal? Nike or Taylor made this week. And he kind of gave me this look like, what the hell are you asking, man? And maybe he just didn't want to, he knew I was on, he knew I was on the scent and he didn't want to give me the scoop. But after a lengthy run in his bag, dating all the way back to high school, Scotty Scheffler has decided to replace his Nike VR pro limited three wood with a Taylor made stealth. It's a sad day for your boy because that was one of my favorite clubs that anytime I was out on tour, I was always going over to Scotty's bag to take a peek in, make sure that it was still there. Other than 2021, when when the face caved in before he went to before he went to Hawaii, you know, that he's he's even said before that club has been it's been a staple. He's he's changed a lot of gear, but that was the one that stayed. The interesting thing, Gene, you know, as I as I jokingly talk about, you know, losing another Nike club, there aren't a whole lot out there. And no. I was doing a little bit of digging, and the uh, besides two prominent names, there were a couple other guys that people were pointing out. I actually heard from some other industry sources who were trying to help me find out what other Nike clubs still existed out on tour. But all I could come up with initially was the Nike Vaporfly Pro 3-iron that Brooks Kepka and Tony Finau used. That was it. And it, again, Scheffler was one of those guys who sold a Nike club in the bag, but it's gone. But the from a gear perspective, and I think this goes to show you, as Gene mentioned, we do talk a lot more about the new gear than the old, even though I do love the old. But Scheffler was in a 13.5 degree Nike fairway. And when he went to the TaylorMade product, he initially tried a 15 degree, but it went too far. It actually closed his carry yardage gap between the driver and the three wood and it was a little bit longer on the back end. And so he had to go to the three HL. Now that's the HL stands for high loft. So he went from a 13 and a half degree to a 16 and a half degree TaylorMade Stealth. 
And it just goes to show you how pros in particular and, go- and golf, regular golfers in, as well, but pros have changed the way that they use three woods. You know, for years, it seemed like the three wood was a club that guys were just using, you know, they're using off the tee. They're using it to try and reach the, use it to try and reach a par five. Now the pros, instead of wanting that penetrating flight, they want that high launch so they can, you know, not only try and find a fairway if they need to give them a little bit more control, but also try and attack those greens that are a lot firmer now on tour. So that was the one takeaway for me was not just the fact that he changed to this tailor-made self, but that he actually went up in loft by three degrees from where he was at with the the VR Pro Limited, which is a club that's been out for, for just over a decade now. Well, you know, it, 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 you, you raise an a point that we talked about. It. Remember when Matsuyama won at the Sony at the beginning of the year and he hit that just stone-cold killer three-wood in? That ball went up high and dropped. And I, I've had these kind of philosophical conversations with uh, manufacturers about that. Is And I think they separate them, to be perfectly honest, like you said, in that, uh, you know, you can have like a three plus three wood, too, that's that's juiced even a little stronger, stronger loft that is even more boring for, say, the slower swinging players. But when you get into a situation like Scheffler's, because he had that club in the bag for so long. That club had a distance, had a lot, but there has been a major evolution in three woods and they have become a lot longer. They spin a lot less and they're a lot more forgiving to be perfectly frank um, because of new materials, weighting improvements, et cetera. So it makes total sense that he would have to go to a weaker loft or else he'd just be smoking the ball and the club would be a mess. And the other thing is, as you were saying, it's a philosophical thing. Suddenly now on a par five and a lot of these long hitters, that's where they're looking to, you know, kind of really make their mark on a daily basis is on the par five and they want to be able to get home in two. And the only way to get home in two is making sure that that ball lands softly on the green, meaning that you've got to get a higher launch, a steeper descent angle. So when it lands, you've got a chance for an eagle putt. Yeah, maybe that makes the fact that Scotty kept that club in the bag for so long, even more impressive is, you know, ball technology has changed since that club was released and he's still found a way to, to keep it in the bag until now, but he goes out first week with, with the new tailor-made stealth three wood and he wins. So I don't think that we're going to be seeing the, the Nike come back anytime soon. There was part of me that was like, maybe if he has a bad week, Maybe he throws the Nike back in the bag for for Augusta. I still thought that there was a pretty good chance he'd wait until after the Masters, but clearly I don't know what I'm talking about. And Scotty goes out. Now he's number one. So congrats to Scotty on the win, and uh, damn you for getting rid of the Nike. But <laughs> hey, it's uh, it's it's been it's been a, a decent run for Scotty Scheffler going back to Phoenix. He's won three times in his last five starts. That actually coincided with a putter change to a new Scotty Cameron when he switched in Phoenix. And I went back to look, and since he made the putter change, he's won just over $6 million. So 
new gear for well, Scotty. That it seems to it seems to to look good on him. You know, he, he performs well with the new stuff right out right out of the gate. And we have seen that from other guys before, Dustin Johnson being one of those who whenever he would change gear, he would seem to, to either have a good week or win. And maybe Scotty's the same way. They're both tailor made guys. Maybe there's something in the water over there. Hey, it's a shiny new toy theory you know you it's pretty and it's more fun to play with when it's you know when it looks that way so i mean it's funny because there's guys like that i mean yeah he was a holdout but he also made the switch and then there's guys that you know they uh i i've heard stories <laughs> i've heard stories on tour of multi-major winners uh, the shaft manufacturers have told me they've gone down in the bags and seen that the shaft is bent on their irons and said, you need to switch this out. It's bent. And the player goes, nope, <laughs> it's working. I'm sticking with it. So, you know, that's that's what makes this game so amazing and so much fun to talk about is you got certain players that are like, I'll try anything. Just put it in front of me. Let me hit it. Let me see. And other players are like, Get that away from me. I mean, it takes an act of God or a brand new contract before they even want to start sniffing new gear. So, oh now, uh, hey guys, I know there's been in the past grip changes, shaft changes that have led to immediate success. Have you seen anything like the immediate sponsor change to Taylor made for Scotty Scheffler to just take off? immediately no and that's that's actually a really good question mark because i i would say that for the most part i mean john rom would would be my would be my one you know he switched to callaway and then he won a major but typically we we see guys struggle after they sign a new deal and i think a lot of that's just due to adjustments if they're especially if they're changing golf balls that tends to take a little bit longer when Rory McIlroy switched to Nike. I mean, after he moved on, he talked about how there was a stretch there right when he signed that new deal. And it was a mega deal at the time, but he struggled to try and get acclimated to the Nike golf ball. So typically it doesn't come with this kind of immediate success. Now I will say this about Scotty. This was the easiest change in the history of changes for him because he didn't have to change a damn thing with the exception of the three wood. And by that point, he had already won twice. So, you know, even though it was a club that had been in the bag for a while, I think he was willing to give it a chance. And he figured, I mean, if the worst thing that I need to do is try and find a, a three wood that's going to fit this slot to to satisfy my my gear deal, then so be it. But yeah, the rest of his setup was already in place. He had the he had the stealth driver. He had the P7TW irons. He was allowed to to stay in the the Vokey wedges, and he's still in the Titleist golf ball. Still has the Cameron putter. So yeah, I mean it was it was an easy deal for him because it's like wait, you're gonna I'm gonna get paid guaranteed money, and I get to keep my my getting, you know setup that I've just won twice with. Hell yeah, I'll do that. So correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, when he won in Phoenix, he was still had the mixed bag. Yes, yeah, he was. He was okay. still. Uh, he was still gear free agent when he when yeah. he won in okay. Phoenix. And then, and when, he, then when he won the Palm, when he won the Palmer, he uh, he he was he still had, a gear free was, agent. 
he was still a gear free agent. Yeah, so he was still he didn't actually oh, he wasn't officially I yeah, unveiled. I remember the timeline. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He wasn't officially unveiled as a staffer until the players. Okay. But yeah, gotcha. he was he was still a, but, but like I mentioned, it, this is this was the easiest deal in the history of deals for him because he got to keep playing the same setup and the only requirement was like, "Hey bud, at some point let's start testing three woods to see if we can find something that beats your Nike." But then the rest of his setup was the same, and he gets guaranteed money. And I, I've been told that the guaranteed money he's getting is very good. There's well, the you know yeah. the interesting thing is I I walked and followed him a bit at the Ryder Cup, and you know he's always been a solid player, really good player. But if you would have asked me at the Ryder Cup, guess who's going to be the uh, number one player in the world come April first, twenty twenty two? It would not have been Scotty Scheffler, you know, and what he has done and just his solid play and like, you know, at the Palmer under those conditions. And, you know, a lot of times these guys, they'll win a tournament and they'll fade. He just, you know, he's got six top 10 finishes. He, he's just, he's, he's, he has really, really kicked it up to another gear, and it is it is really awesome to watch. Yeah, Scotty's Scotty's plan. I mean, you got to think for the Masters that he's he's. I mean, other than John Rahm, he's got to be the the one A as far as favorites are concerned, based on form. You know, Rahm's got a, a little bit more experience there at Augusta, but. Yeah, Scotty, it's it's impossible to to go against him right now the way that he's playing. So I was going to go through a, a kind of a what's in the bag for Xander Shoffley, but I think we'll save that for next week. And hey, how about we do uh, how about we do our uh, our Masters picks here uh, oh, with the three of us? Do we not want to save them for next week for Augusta? Well, we're going to be down there, but Gene won't be, you know? Oh, yeah. I, oh by the way, oh, yeah, wow, right, that's – that's. All right, all right. That dude, just, just, throwing, just throwing darts. Yeah, that we're going to be doing fully equipped live. Do, do we oh. mention that, Mark? Fully equipped live next week from, from – Oh, yeah, Justin? yeah. You flow, you flow with this uh, whole ad read right here. Uh, LKD, our biggest fan, will be joining. Yeah. So where, where are we doing it? It's, it's at a brewery, right? Oh. Savannah Brewing Co. Right down there in downtown Augusta. We're going to be doing all four shows. We're going to be doing Drop Zone, fully equipped, off course with Claude Harbin on Wednesday, along with Club Test Live, sponsored by TaylorMade. And we are also going to be doing some par from there and uh, with a guest to be determined. And, get amongst uh, it. Get amongst it. Yep. So that, so, that is... So, so well, I that. get... A, I get a week off. I'm excited about that. Another I got a force vacation. Uh, Gene, we couldn't we couldn't meet your rider. You said you needed a, <laughs> a, a, a odd course pass. I tried to work on that, but I couldn't get it. But you're welcome to just fly in and just hang out at the brewery like me. They're not letting me out. Of, they're not letting me out of course. I'm not that important. I'll just be at the. They brewery will not. Though. They will not let you on the grounds at Augusta, Coach. I'm sorry. Absolutely not. <sighs> Right. If I if I would have got my pass, I would have just because I've never been there. Um, I would have made the trip. But to hang out in a brewery in Augusta, Georgia, while tempting, um, I'm just going to have to do a hard pass on that one. Hard pass. The man does have to has the man does have well, to. Well, well Jay Wall gets the best of both worlds, and uh, we we will hopefully uh, at the very least we will have super fed 
Luke Kier Dadid on next week's episode. Who LKD uh, is so jacked up to be on Fully Equipped Live. I, I don't know anybody else who's been more excited to be on this podcast. Other of course, Gene. Jonathan gets everything. He's got the he's got the speaker too. So I mean, I would expect no less, right? You know. <laughs> Hey, right. speaking of speaking of hey, which, you know what? Uh, have we touched on George Gakis? Well, do you want you want to do picks, I, Mark? Now you're throwing it to. Do you want to do the Gakis ad read? Which is it? No, no, no. Let's, it do out, picks. Let's do picks. Let's do picks. The, the good news is I have Iris Alzheimer's. I forget everything but the grudges. So you know those will keep coming up over and over again. Well, gee, we're gonna start with you then, since you forget things. Who's your pick for the the Masters? I got to say Scheffler, just hands down. I mean, he's just, he's playing too well. And uh, uh, if, uh, you know, especially under those match play uh, conditions, you know, to, to face those guys, he's, he's, he's a stone cold killer right now. And I got to believe that that's going to continue. See no reason for it not to all right, well, I'll let I'll let Jay Wall go last, and uh, I'm going to go first here, or sorry, second here, and uh, that is John Rahm. I think he's going to do it eventually. Why not this? Uh, he hasn't been, you know, finishing well in any events, but why not Jet? Why not John Rahm right now? And uh, you know, that's that's all I got to say about it. He's take he's taking the local Scottsdale guy. That's a homer pick. Yeah, that's that's all homer pick. Homer pick. Hey, is has his is I haven't followed him very closely lately. Has his putting kind of been fixed, or is he still struggling with that a little bit? He, he's been he's been a little shaky, but he's going to do it one of these years, Jude. We all do. Oh, it. absolutely! No, no. I mean, he I change back putters. I f- I feel better with seeing him in the in the Odyssey, the the Rossi, the OG the OG Rossi. So I think that's a I think it's a better setup for him. It's, damn, it's the putter he won a U.S. Open with. So it's it's got some good. Got some good vibes, but I'll I'll take I'll take Hovey, Victor Hovland. I just I don't know. You know, he's been low he's been low am at Augusta. Hard to believe that was twenty nineteen when he was low am at Augusta. And he's I I don't I just think at some point and I, I say this about a lot of guys. I've been saying this for a while about Xander. At some point this like Victor feels like he has the game to win at Augusta. You need to be able to launch it high. Victor has no problem doing that. As long as he gets the putter going, he's always going to be in contention there. And I think this is the year he's, you know, I wouldn't say he's under the radar. He's been playing reasonably well, but I just hate going with the chalk guys that everybody's talking about. The two that we already heard mentioned on this show, Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm. So give me Victor. I think he's going to get it done this week. Man, you're such hey, a hey, Jonathan. You're such hey, a Jonathan. Jonathan, I got to ask you. Saturday night, Tiger Woods is in fifth place, three strokes back. How you feeling? Oh my gosh, I don't. I mean, I'm I'm like jacked up for this Duke UNC game on this Saturday, but I think I'd be at a totally different level if if Tiger's within three on Saturday night. Can't sleep. Going to be thinking about the Tigers front nine and what he's got to do to stay in contention. I just, uh, I, I mean, if he if he just plays at this point, like if he if he just shows up and he tees one up on Thursday, and we hear four please Tiger Woods now driving. 
I mean, how cool is that going to be after, after everything he's gone through? So yeah, I, at this point, I just, if he shows up to play, that's, that's going to make the masters for this year for sure. Anyway, before we get into this week's interview, I wanted to let you know that Fully Equipped is brought to you by Golf Magazine Top 100 Instructor George Gankis's training aid, the G-Box. The G-Box is the absolute best training aid to help you make a full and complete body turn. To accomplish that turn, both beginners and professionals can utilize the G-Box in such a way as to not only promote the correct depth of backswing, but also proper width of the arms throughout their swing. The G-Box is not only easy to use, but provides the same immediate feedback from specific drills that George Genkis provides to all his players during their lessons. Simply said, the G-Box is the most versatile training aid in all of golf today for protecting both your backswing and downswing drills. To pick up your G-Box, simply head over to golf.com's pro shop and use promo code fully equipped for 10% off. That's promo code fully equipped, F-U-L-L-Y-E-Q-U-I-P-P-E-D, one word, at the golf.com pro shop. And with that, let's get to Golf Pride's Eric Gibson, who talks to us about the new CPX grip. Well, when you are the number one grip brand in the game, the release of a new grip is always going to warrant some additional discussion, which is why we have Eric Gibson, Golf Pride's global head of marketing on today to talk about Golf Pride's new CPX grip. Eric, what's going on, man? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. For sure. So CPX, I'm sure you're going to get into the name, but I'll, I'll highlight it here at the top. It stands for Comfort Performance Extreme. First things first, what makes this grip so different from others in the marketplace? And why did Golf Pride see a need to bring this particular design to market? Yeah, great question. So uh, I'll walk down kind of two different paths for you. Um, predominantly, Golf Pride has been very well known for grips that are more on the firmer side of the category. Um, the iconic MCC family, um, you know, best-selling grip in the world by far. You have uh, the OG and the Tour Velvet uh, family, Velvet. Um, and, uh, and those are icons and uh, best players in the world. Um, they love the firmness, and, um, and that just allows them to, to understand kind of the minuteness of, of the different strikes that they have in the golf ball. Um, we spent two years researching um, those that extend beyond the best players in the world, and we found a really interesting point of tension in kind of the intersection between comfort and performance. Golf pride will always have performance in its DNA. Um, that's where we we're born. Um, but what we've started to realize is that golfers that want comfort um, really look for an alternative material than, than rubber uh, up until this point. Um, and that's really in the polyurethane space. And the polyurethane is, is wonderful from a softness standpoint. But if you really think about the performance side of polyurethane, you know, if you look at durability, if you look at uh, torquing for higher swing speeds and in, in the downswing, um, that is where you really start to deteriorate. Um, and then we spent the last two years really finding the right material. So there are two big things um, that we'll talk about about CPX. Um, the first one is the material. So it is a proprietary material that was born just for CPX. Um, so it is the softest thing we have ever made in, in any of our portfolio. 
But the second thing that really makes CPX unique is its texture pattern. And that is where the performance comes. So CPX is the first grip to have an external surface texture. Think about your MCCs, your, your tour velvets, all of those indentations are internally based. Um, CPX takes that and flips it on its head. And so that is the diamond quilted pattern. And that does a couple things for you. Number one, CPX is the highest coverage of a surface area on your hand. Okay. And that paired with the softness of the material creates a really interesting intersection where when you're standing over the golf ball, it is going to be the softest grip you've ever felt, but you can go ahead and rip at it because it is going to hold up. Um, and some of that is just in the control core in the bottom towards the end cap, which is a lot firmer material, which is um, really allows kind of the torque of higher swing speeds to kind of maintain the integrity of the grip. Um, but, um, you know, as we get started, it is, it is truly something different that hasn't been seen in the category before. And it's a really special addition to the portfolio. Yeah. You mentioned the two years of development. Mm -hmm. Is, is that longer than what it typically takes to, to develop a grip when, when golf pride's done, you mentioned MCC. I know Tourville has been around for a while. Mm -hmm. is, is that longer than, than the timeline is for, for bringing a grip to, to market? Yeah, it, it, it is for a couple of reasons. Um, and I'll go back to the two sides of the category. You know, the firmness side is really focused more on the materials, your textures, you've got cord, um, you know, you have the Align family. The softer side is really interesting as, a, as the difficulty to get it right because it is a very fine line. The minute that you get too soft, you lose a tremendous amount of your audience just by how quickly that they swing the golf club. Um, right. And so certainly with the CP2 family, we introduced the control core for the first time, which allowed us to start to explore softness. Um, but it really took us a while. When we first introduced CP2, we thought that this was going to be um, a considerable game changer for the softness side of the category. And while it is number two, if not number three, uh, largest selling family within the portfolio, Still, consistently, we did not receive the high marks that we expected from those that we wanted to com convert over from polyurethane. And so we spent the last two years figuring out how soft we could stretch kind of the chemistry of rubber um, so that we were bringing forward um, an opportunity really to, to take share from where we believe we can deliver a higher value proposition or performance um, given kind of the, the integrity and the history that we brought to the category, but give them the softness and that expectation that, uh, that they're looking for in their current choices. So obviously this grip is incredibly soft, but you mentioned the, the rubber material that's being used. How difficult is it to sort of toe that line between making a grip extremely soft without affecting the overall performance? Because I, I know people who buy golf pride grips, 
they're, they're looking for a grip that's going to be soft, but they're also probably looking for one that's going to be able to last. Yeah, well, you know, there's a couple different ways that you can look at kind of that fine line. You can look at that um, fine line from a durability. So we can split performance into two types of conversations. We can have a durability conversation um, where certainly the expectation is the softer the material, um, the more wear and tear you're, you're going to have. Uh, and we've taken considerable account of that. This, uh, this will um, stand uh, up against uh, anything, really anything else in, in, our, in our portfolio from a longevity standpoint. Um, so we're confident in that. You know, but the other side of performance, you know, outside of durability, you talk about that fine line, is there, there is a moment um, where your swing reaches a certain speed and, and it exists. And probably the, the most crucial pressure point in your golf swing and, and you know, for, for you know, a right-handed golfer, that's your right thumb. Um, and, and it is that moment in, in that initial torque where if you don't have the proper grip in your hand, that thumb is going to slide. And the minute that that thumb slides, really the integrity of that golf swing um, really becomes kind of compromised. And, you know, how you achieve kind of maximum effort. And so we really looked at kind of the texture pattern that, he, that exists down the spine of the golf club, um, as well as the, uh, the texture pattern, the diamond quilted that exists around kind of your major pads of your, uh, of your two hands. So, you know, really when we look at the performance and trying to straddle that fine line, we're looking at both sides of it. So you mentioned that exo diamond quilted pattern. I've actually got a grip. Yeah, right here. yeah, good. And I, I'm taking a look at these sections. I've never seen a pattern like this on a grip, which, again, for for a gear nerd like myself, is something mm -hmm. that when I'm I'm checking out a new product, that makes you kind of stand up and take notice. Where where did you or was there any sort of inspiration? in the design of this this diamond quilted pattern because i know it's raised up you can certainly feel every you know every section of the pattern but but where do you kind of derive some of that inspiration for that design yeah great question so we started looking around at other sports um that had materials as kind of handled so you can go to uh, you can go to tennis um, but really those wraps are still, you know, the, the texture patterns of those wraps are still inverted. Um, but we stumbled upon, um, BMX biking, quite frankly. Um, and the reason why we liked BMX is much like golf. I think there's a little bit of an underappreciation of the realities in which your hands go through in a given round. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's harsh. And, you know, we really looked at a sport in BMX where they're using gloves as well. Um, they have, you know, internal and external factors in which, you know, they're executing their craft through. Um, and we started looking at their handles and we've, that's where we started to stumble upon the idea of inverting your classic texture patterns and making it external. Um, because for them, they've got to be able to have the right pressure on their handles for them to hold on to if, you know, if they're, if they're doing, um, you know, more of a trick and a half pipe or it's more on the dirt side where they're making quick turns in a race. Um, so we really liked that parallel for the inspiration here. Um, 
And so we did a lot of studying of, um, of BMX bike handles and, and the texture patterns and how they bring those to life, uh, which really kind of led us down this path that we, uh, that we ended up in. So I've seen golf pride making a very concerted shift towards, as you mentioned, they're, they're, you know, the OG, the tour velvets mm-hmm. and groups like that, that are on the firmer side, but a concerted effort to really go softer, uh, with a lot of these grips that have been released recently. Is this, uh, kind of a trend for the future kind of where, where does, where does golf pride see the, the grip market going as far as that, you know, softer versus firmer? Yeah. Great question. I think, um, because of the influence that, um, the best players in the world, male and female have, um, on, on the golf community, there will always be a significant part of the business that's going to focus on the, on the firmer side. Um, and certainly golfers kind of coming into the category have all sorts of different inspirations when they're gathering kind of uh, how they're making their choice. But I think um, we saw that there is an opportunity and it, and it showed itself a little bit when we introduced um, the CP2 family back in the early 2010s, that there is a big market for, um, for softness. And, um, you know, as we think about the fundamentals of golf, um, you know, part of the shift that we're making as a brand is becoming less of a grip company and becoming more of a hands company. And, you know, philosophically speaking, what that's allow is allowing us to do is to have a different conversation with our golfers because it's, it's less about the technology, but it's more about the experience and the hands in which that technology allows them to um, uncover, if you will. But how would that, parallels back to softness is the fundamental in your hands is it starts with the grip. Everything starts with the grip and predominantly folks are gripping the golf club too hard. And the moment that you grip the golf club too hard, you have impurities in the execution of your golf swing. Um, and so this softness and actually bringing out a grip and softness that pays off your value proposition in the performance side. This is not a grip for um, older generations. So let's just kind of take that off the table right now. I mean, that is, I would at least say that's a little bit of the stigma that softness has had over, over the course of time in a grip category, you know, that the older you get, the softer your grip needs to be. Um, but um, I, I'll tell you, you know, I, I previously was a CP2 and, uh, and I still swing it pretty fast. But um, there's a big, big opportunity for golfers to realize uh, the comfort um, that they could play with um, and probably a little bit of assistance that they can get in how hard they're gripping the golf club is they just look at the other side of the category in, uh, in the softness side because it's not going to deteriorate how they're performing on the course. Gotcha. Well, I know CPX is, is unlike anything else out there, but for golfers that are already playing golf pride grips mm. that are curious, like what is this like? Is there, what's maybe the closest grip in the mm. current lineup to what, you know, might feel like a CPX just for those out there that are, that are playing different grips from golf pride right now? Yeah. Great question. So I'll, I'll just talk about kind of the spectrum of the portfolio. 
And I'll talk about it in two ways. I'll talk about firmness and then I'll talk about traction. When I talk about traction, you know, let's think about it in kind of the confines of torque uh, in the golf swing. So we'll go to the very left side of the spectrum. And that is where you have your highest firmness and, and your highest amount of traction. So you're going to find your Z grips, um, which those are becoming very popular. You've got your cord families, your Tour Velvet cords. Um, you've got your MCC family. And then you go, let's go to the opposite side of the spectrum. And that's where we have to splinter a little bit. So if folks that are already in our family, they're looking at the CPX, anybody playing the CP2 family, um, from a traction standpoint, it's going to be pretty similar from attraction. Um, anybody playing the tour velvet, uh, it's going to be similar. Uh, from a traction standpoint. Uh, but where this differentiates itself is if you are in one of those existing families. So really the three are, are kind of your CP2 family, your tour velvet, your tour wrap. Um, this is going to feel much softer um, than any of those two. So if you love the traction that you get, you love the feel in your hands when you're swinging the golf club, but you want something, you want to try something that's maybe just a little bit softer, um, you know, this is, this is going to be for, for those folks, um, probably not going to see too much people coming down from a Z grip to, to a CPX. Um, so it's really kind of the middle side of that family, um, where we think that there is a big opportunity. Um, but quite frankly, this is probably the first one in a while that we've introduced where we, we truly feel like we're going to bring some folks into the family that haven't been previously been. Um, so we're, we're anxious to see where, where this one ultimately lands. I mean, testing can only tell you so much, so much of who's going to end up using it. So we're very curious to see. So with a grip like this, do you seek out tour feedback for, for something like this or, or, or are you just kind of more kind of focused on, on the amateur golfer with a grip like CPX? No, great question. The tour feedback is uh, extremely important. Um, anytime that we're, we're working on a new concept, whether it be swing or putter, quite frankly. But I just think um, it's which tours we are, we're choiceful uh, in the, in the feedback that, uh, that we're getting from. So we spent a lot of time on the senior tour. We spent a lot of time on the LPGA. Um, and, uh, you know, the top women around the world, um, you think about, um, you think about our positions on major tours around the world. It is, uh, uh, it's very humbling how dominant we are, but I, I do find it very interesting, um, that the way in which the best women in the world view their golf grip is just slightly different than the men. Um, and what we are finding is there are some very interesting and, and good reviews coming um, from the best women in the world. They, they love having performance, um, but they, they like having a little bit more of that softness than you typically find on the PGA Tour. Uh, and so we started getting a lot of feedback there, which has been, uh, which has been really important to us. Yeah, and I always point this out on our podcast. If you want to look at the bag setups that most closely mimic the amateur golfer. It's not on the PGA tour. It's on the LPGA. So it's, it's interesting that you bring up mm -hmm. that, you know, the LPGA is, is already sending positive feedback on the script. Yeah. Maybe that's a sign, you know, again, that amateur golfer should be checking out CPX. All right. 
I want to point this out because I think this is pretty interesting. I don't know who else. Maybe, maybe I'm the only one. I don't know. But uh, I found that this is the first grip that Golf Pride has completely concepted and developed at the Global Innovation Center. And I'm curious, mm. what does having the ability to develop a grip completely in-house, how does that uh, allow you to do things in the future? Yeah, so so just think about your fundamentals of product innovation and, um, you know, having the Global Innovation Innovation Center now fully functioning and up and running does a couple things for us. Number one, uh, we're in Pinehurst. So thousands upon thousands Decent of golfers. Yeah, thousands of golfers come from from around the world yearly, and and that is that is testing ground for us, um, and, and so that is a a wonderful opportunity for us to get real time feedback. Secondarily, though, which is a little bit more behind the scenes, but um, the ability to shrink the amount of time it takes you to get from an idea to a prototype is pretty special when it comes to truly kind of breakthrough innovation because you're allowed to iterate quicker, fail faster, and come up with additional ideas um, and not have to wait for a significant amount of turnaround. So that may be a little bit in the weeds, but just think that um, rather than a matter of months that it previously took for us to come up with an idea, design it, fabricate it, and get a prototype back, we can now do it in a matter of days. And I think- That's huge I, for any company. It, it is, um, but especially for Golf Pride because yes, we are humbled daily by just the dominance that we have around the world. But I think that dominance has been driven by innovation that hasn't been benefited from the capabilities we now have. So I think what everybody is going to start to see is the level of innovation and the impact that can have on the game is just going to increase. Um, I can certainly tell you what is being worked on for the next few seasons alone. We're going to be having the same exact conversation about how much impact um, those two concepts right now for the next few seasons are going to have on, uh, on golfers. So, we're, we're seemingly excited about it, um, and it's just going to help put us in an even stronger competitive advantage of being able to do everything in, uh, in Pinehurst. So the CPX grip I have right here has a blue cap on it. It's gray, predominantly gray, but the obvious question for a lot of golfers is what, what are the color options going to be? Will there be color options coming? I, I would think so based on what golf pride's done in the past. Yeah. Other grip offerings. No, I think, uh, you know, I, I, we love that conversation and, and we are having, uh, we're having a lot of those conversations and, and ideas ourselves. So, um, we wanted to get this one out in the marketplace as, as quickly as possible. It's taken us a while to get the idea. Um, but we are certainly having plenty of conversations, both, uh, internally, as well with uh, our our partners, equipment partners, on uh, what other options might uh, might be available. So stay tuned. We're we'll have some fun with it. Last question for you is one that I get constantly, but I've got an expert here from Golf Pride, so sure. you're you're going to be the final word on this. But mm. but how often should golfers be changing out their grips? What what's kind of the rule of thumb for uh, coming from Golf Pride? Yeah, so that's a great question. So um, it, it's, it is going to be difficult 
there are many factors that uh, that that will cause your grips to wear out. So you can you can talk about elements, um, UV radiation, uh, wear and tear coming out of the bag, etc. So it's it's it, it's going to be extremely difficult for Golf Pride to ever say, "Yep, forty rounds, this is it." But I, what I want people to more pay attention to is the impact in their golf swing, and they should really be looking at their most important pressure points on the swing and that is your um that is your lower hand thumb and that is in the two pads and really the minute that you start feeling any compromise you should really start to understand um first take measures to clean your grips really kind of the first time that you feel it um that's just a little bit of soap and water uh, and that does you tremendous um but if you're if you feel like you're playing um a healthy amount then you're probably at most one to two seasons um, that uh, that you're looking to uh, um, get into a fresh set. Yeah, makes total sense, and that's kind of kind of what I've been preaching. Is yeah. if you play a lot, you're going to probably need to be changing them out a little bit yep. more often than your buddy that plays uh, a couple times a season. Anyway, Eric, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, Congrats again it. on the release of CPX. Yeah, no, thank you. Appreciate you having me. And that'll do it for episode 134 of Fully Equipped. As always, if you want the gear news, especially as we head to Augusta, we'll be having on-site reporting about what's going on there. Check us out on our social media feeds. We are at Fully Underscore Equipped on Twitter and at Fully Equipped Golf on Instagram. Thanks as always for listening.